without much ado, here is Andy McNeely, fresh from Baltimore, from the Porch Christian Church, who will be teaching today as we continue our series on Epiphany. Well, thanks, guys. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here this morning, as always, with you guys at Restore. We love our family here and are glad to be here. I want to start off by taking us all on a journey. So everybody close your eyes. Kids, too, everybody close your eyes and imagine that you are in a cave. Now, imagine that you are in the back of the cave in the darkest part, and you're seated on the ground, and you're facing a wall. You're pretty close to the wall, and all that you can see is this little patch of wall in front of you. Uh, it's all that you can make out. And you realize that it's because you are chained to the wall and you can only see this little patch because you're unable to move from left to right to see people beside you. You can't look down and see yourself. All you can see is what's on the wall in front of you. And from behind you at the mouth of the cave, there's a little bit of light emanating. And as it comes into the cave, it casts itself, its light over uh, other objects and creates shadows on the wall in front of you. Now, if this is all you had ever seen, this is all you would know to be reality. This is all you would understand. This would be your reality, the shadows on the wall. Now imagine that someone comes in, they sit beside you and they undo those chains and they stand you up and turn you and walk you out of the cave. And as you get closer to the mouth of the cave, you begin to hear birds chirping for the first time. And you begin to, as you enter the mouth of the cave, you begin to feel the warmth of the sun on your face. You begin to smell the fresh flowers outside. And for the first time, you see a sunset. Now imagine um, all of this happened to you. For the first time as you walked out of that cave, it would totally shatter everything you thought was real, right? Now you can open your eyes. That's what it's like when you come to know Jesus. Jesus takes us out of a cave and he totally blows our mind. He, he takes our small, limited perspective that we've been living with and what we know to be true and he just completely shatters it and adds such depth and richness to it. And I believe that for so many centuries, Christians have been living to believe that Christ actually narrows our perspective and Christ actually hinders or makes our world much smaller, but it's the opposite. He expands it to such beauty. Now, for those of you who are into philosophy, you know that I described in the beginning Plato's allegory of a cave. If you don't know it, you should look it up. It's very fascinating. Plato didn't apply it to Jesus, but I did because I believe that as John chapter 8 verse 12 says, Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, friends, Jesus is the light. He is the good news, the person of Jesus, not the facts about Jesus. He himself is the good news, and he shatters our paradigm and opens up our world to a vastness that is hard to explain uh, with words. Jesus steps into our lives and he frees us from our small perspectives. He offers a new reality with such great depth and richness to it, it's really hard to imagine. And once you're freed from these chains, you really have two options. You can either choose to follow Jesus out of the cave and to experience life anew, to live outside of the cave with the warmth and the smells and the freshness and the, and the view, or you can choose to remain Hold on to those chains and stay there staring at the wall, believing that this reality in front of you is all that there is. If you're a believer and you've experienced life beyond the cave, it's really hard to imagine going back into that simplistic small viewpoint. It's really hard to picture what life was like before. And that's on purpose. That's the way that God has 
created us. Um, Outside of the cave, walking free in the kingdom of heaven, you've probably felt the warmth of reconciliation. Hopefully you've tasted the uniquely grace-filled justice of Jesus Christ or caught a whiff of the wholeness that he offers to those who are broken. You've seen the beauty inside his most prized creation, mankind, and you've heard of the fulfillment of his coming kingdom that we will experience one day with God in person. And so with that view and with that understanding and those pictures in your mind, you return to the cave to rescue as many cave dwellers as you can, to bring as many people out into the light and let them experience what you've experienced. This is the work of those who follow Christ. See, we've already been freed from our chains. Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross, freed all of mankind from the chains of sin. But so many of us are still holding on to the chains that are no longer locked, staring at the reality of the shadows in the cave. And some, when they hear you proclaim this good news about life beyond the cave, they will run towards the light of the sun. But others will choose to remain in the cave out of disbelief. They'll fear for a new reality because new things are scary. They'll say it's too good to be true. Plato himself said, on the walls of the cave, only the shadows are the truth. If that's what you believe to be the only truth, it's really hard to imagine there's a whole world out there. And so it can be difficult. It's even more difficult because our neighbors are living with hopeless truths. These shadows on the wall are the shadows of the difficulty in their marriage. It's the shadows of the loss of loved ones or crushing debt. It's the shadows of these false dichotomies we've been led to believe about politics. And all of those shadows keep us locked in and that's what we believe to be true. Because sometimes it's just easier to remain in the dark. In John chapter three, verse 19, referring to Jesus, John says, the light, that's Jesus, has come into the world, but people loved the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Sometimes it's just easier to stay in the dark. Uh, but you know, as a, as a Christian, that if these people will only turn, if they'll just turn their head a little bit and see the light, if they'll just begin to have a new imagination for what's out there, this new understanding, rich with hope, that they'll want it. This is the hope of a reconciled earth filled with peace and joy and love. And this hope comes only from the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who the Creator God sent to earth to show us and expand our world that we might have this new view and to release us from the chains of sin inside the cave of this world. See, God created us in his image. That is the primary truth. This has like blown my mind in the last couple of years, guys. The primary truth about mankind is that we were created in the image of God. Not that we are sinners. That's a secondary truth. The primary truth is that we were created in the image of God. And if we're created in his image, that means that his truths are locked inside of us. We just don't have eyes to see it yet. We don't have ears to hear it until we follow Jesus out of the cave. And then when we see the world anew and his kingdom, we begin to grasp these truths that are inside of us and begin to understand the world from a new paradigm. And that secondary truth about mankind that we are sinners, those chains that keep us from realizing the full potential of God inside of us, Jesus's death on the cross unlocked those chains. You just have to choose to drop them and walk out of the cave. Now, this is what we celebrate at the Epiphany. 
this season, uh, this church calendar season that we're in right now, the epiphany, that aha moment, right? This is what we celebrate. We're celebrating that Jesus is now for everyone. It's, it's this incredible truth that he's no longer for only a specific people, but that he is accessible to all, that his light shines on everyone who will choose him, proclaim his name as their Lord and Savior, and follow him into the waters of baptism. This is the truth of epiphany, the aha that we experience. But it's even richer than that. It goes beyond that, if, it's, if you can actually imagine. It goes beyond that to say that God wanted to include us in this new mission, that reconciling the world to himself is no longer just to be done by God, but by God's people. And as God dwells inside of us, we are called as kingdom workers to go out into the world on behalf of King Jesus and to illuminate the nearness of his kingdom for people who are still chained to a wall, staring at shadows. This act is called evangelism. Now, let me stop you right there because I know the word evangelism has a lot of negative connotations. The word evangelism in our culture has been misused. It has been misappropriated. It's just been uh, damaged. And so I want to talk about some of those misconceptions that we have that are not truths about evangelism. Evangelism being sharing the good news of Jesus with people so that they will choose to put Jesus as king in their life. The first misconception is that evangelism is only the work of the full-time minister. That for some reason, evangelism should be reserved to those who are theologically superior, to those who have studied Greek and Hebrew and have a Bible degree, and those are the people who should be sharing Jesus with others. And if we can just maybe get our friends or our family members around those people, they can share the gospel for us. But what that does is it leads all of the rest of the followers who have been told by Jesus to go and make disciples. We now have this hands-off approach where we're like, no, that's, that's not my job. Like, you go do that. That's nice that you know Greek and Hebrew. Like, go, you go do that. That's a prevailing misconception. It's only for the work of the full-time minister. Another is that evangelism can only be done by outgoing, extroverted, happy-go-lucky, confident people, right? There's a certain type of person who can go and do evangelism, and that's not me. Maybe I'm introverted. Maybe um, I, you know, it's not easy for me to have conversations with people. I don't walk into a room and be the light of the party, you know? Um, this leads us to another false thing, and that is shame. It leads many people I've seen over my years of life, people who are ashamed that they're not more extroverted, more outgoing, more like this person over here who walks on the street and proclaims the name of Jesus broadly, right? And shame is not a marker of the kingdom of heaven. It is the opposite. Jesus did not bring shame. In fact, he comes to redeem those thoughts in our mind and to turn those things around. So that's not of Jesus either. Another misconception we have about evangelism is that it can only be done inside the walls of the church. And this just leads us to a complete false understanding of what the church is. Because the church is not a building. It's not even a gathering. The church is you. If you follow Christ, you are the church. And so when you look at it that way, you realize that evangelism can happen anywhere. So how do you broach this subject? How do you like bring up Jesus with people in your life or with random strangers? How does that happen? Well, I want to give you maybe a different paradigm to think through evangelism, and we're going to just title it evangelistic living. What I mean by that is that your life becomes the witness. The way that you live witnesses the nearness of the kingdom of heaven, and then your mouth follows. It's got to be both. We can't just be do-gooders, like Toye was talking about earlier. We can't just be do-gooders who are caring for the poor and loving the sick. 
our mouths must follow with the beautiful name of King Jesus. Michael Frost, one of my favorite authors, he calls this living a questionable life. When's the last time that you heard uh, someone say that Christians should be living questionable lives, right? Like if you're like me, your grandma still tells you don't do anything questionable, right? Like, but Michael Frost says that if we are living questionable lives, if we're living such beautiful lives that people are forced to ask, who the heck are you? And ask these questions that demand answers, that aren't just fleeting questions, but really demand an answer. This is evangelistic living. And it's how Christianity spread like wildfire across uh, the globe and became not only the most known religion, but also the largest religion on the globe. That's how it happened because of the first century church beginning by living strange, foreign-looking lives, and the world took note. That's what living a questionable life looks like. The Christians in the early first century were living in such a way that even the emperor took note, right? Everybody recognized that these people were doing such strange things that were so out of character, out, so out of human nature. And people took note of their questionable living. So how do we do this? I want to give you some practi- practical steps on how to evangelize, how, how to tell other people, how to proclaim the name of Jesus in people's lives so that they might put King Jesus on the throne of their life. Number one, 
you must pursue the light yourself. You've got to drop the chains, stand up and turn and follow Jesus out of the cave. You've got to get a new perspective through Jesus, his lens. You have to see the world anew through his eyes. That is the first and crucial step that we have to take as we run hard after Jesus. Pursuing Jesus' way calls us to lay down our lives and to pick up a cross. It will be difficult. It will involve the sacrifice of the American dream, friends. It will involve us deciding that we will no longer be busy. It, in, it requires that we intentionally invest in relationships and that we continue to put Jesus back on the throne of our lives every single day. We have to pursue the light. And secondly, as we pursue the light, it requires movement. We must walk in the light. We cannot be immobilized. We can no longer as Christians be stuck in these holy huddles surrounded by other people who are just like us. We have to get out. You have to go. You have to walk in the light and be a part of your community and a part of your neighbor's lives. We have to walk in the light and be on the lookout for people who are ready to receive that good news. In Luke chapter 10, one of the biographies about Jesus, it says this in verse 1, Uh, through verse 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them out two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. And Jesus told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out um, workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't even stop and greet people on the road. But when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if someone who proclaim or promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. But if not, it will return to you. If it does rest on them, then stay, plant roots, eat and drink whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick, and then your mouth follows. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. It is essential that our mouths follow our lives. So we are called as Christians to go into new places, into new relationships, and to give away our peace. To just be kind to people, to be conversational with people, to step out of our comfort zone and make ourselves a little vulnerable and give our peace away, and people will reciprocate. And when they do, we are called to plant deep roots. This is hard for us in Montgomery County, right? I don't live here anymore. I live in Baltimore, but I spent our, we've spent what, six, seven years in, in uh, Montgomery County. And in those years, I know that Montgomery County and Washington DC is not a place where you stay. It is a place where you're here for a time and you leave, but consider maybe there are persons of peace here and you are called to stay and plant roots. Janet and I, we spent our last year here at Restore traveling the state of Maryland. I'm from Maryland. Janet went to school here. We knew that we wanted to live here and God was calling us to do ministry. So we went around to all these cities in, uh, in the state of Maryland, giving away our peace and waiting for someone else to reciprocate that. We went to lots of cities, but the only place where God continually put people in our lives who, <coughs> who gave back that peace were, um, <coughs> sorry, uh, they were, It was at the cross streets of York and Northern. That was the place in Baltimore City where over and over again, people were reciprocating and giving back our peace. So we planted deep roots. We bought a house and we're gonna stay. And that's what we're called to do. So we 
follow the light. We walk in the light, and then we become a beacon when we plant deep roots. And planting those deep roots, becoming a beacon, uh, a beacon is something that's bright and that stands out. So Christians, quit being boring. Quit living predictable lives, voting the party line, buying the new Apple product every time it comes out, replying great every time someone asks how you're doing, remaining the busiest people on earth. You look like everyone else and no one is going to ask any questions of why you're so different if you're doing what everyone else is doing. It's time that we live questionable lives and that we stand out and look different. I'm not asking you to do new things necessarily. I'm not asking you to like create more time in your life. No, Jesus came. God gave us enough time and Jesus came to redeem what God has already given us. You have enough time. You just need to redeem it. You already have to eat dinner. Why not eat dinner the same meal with a neighbor? It doesn't matter if your house is dirty. Just have them over and eat a meal with them. People are dying. They're starving for a relationship. Your kids already have to get energy out. Why not go to a park and sit on a bench next to another adult and let the kids run and play? You already have to do it, right? Instead of playing around on your phone, just talk to the person next to you. Let your kids engage with other people and get some fresh air and some sunlight. It's a beautiful thing, but it looks different. Um, Guys, uh, your new way of living as a Christian, your new paradigm and perspective, this gospel viewpoint of love and forgiveness, of reconciliation and peace, it will stand out. And it will beg questions and you'll have the opportunity then to boldly proclaim the name of King Jesus in those moments. Now there are some bad habits, some hangups that we have that keep us from doing this. I want to approach a few of them. One, uh, we oftentimes as Christians find ourselves like all other mankind, all other humans, we retreat into these groups of people that are similar to us, right? Same beliefs, same viewpoints, same perspectives, same skin color, same place we grew up, right? Sameness is comfortable. And so we retreat into these uh, groups of people who are the same as us. But what that leads to is this fear of anyone else. And if Christians are the only people you ever hang out with, then you're afraid of people who aren't Christians, right? Like think about how opposite that is to how Jesus wants us to live. So we've got to stop doing that. We also rarely ever talk about the presence of God in our lives. It's like we somehow maybe because of culture, or I don't know what it is, but we've become fearful of talking about Jesus in our lives. And what has he done in your life? How has he changed your life? How has he healed people in your family? Start talking about it again so that when your neighbors ask, why are you so strange and different? You have some sort of language to say, it's because of King Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. But you have to practice it, I guess, with uh, other people so that it's not completely new to you. The last thing uh, I think that's one, another struggle is this, our, our posture. See, we, li- we live from this like scarcity posture. We talked about this last week at our, at our house, um, at Front Porch Christian Church. At our house, we had this like gathering and we were talking about abundance versus scarcity. You see, like we, we believe that uh, we only have enough time, right? We, we, we only have enough money to spend on a meal with other people. We don't have a big enough house, right? And we're like living like this in this kind of scarcity posture. Friends, Walk out of the cave and be reminded that the kingdom of heaven is abundant. There is more than enough. And if there is more than enough, then we need to stop living like this. We need to share what we have. We need to be out there sharing our time and letting Jesus redeem it. It is a beautiful thing uh, 
to think about it that way. So I love uh, David Fitch is one of my favorite authors. He says this, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is a description. It's like painting a picture. Proclamation does not explain the gospel. It doesn't even argue for it. Proclamation tells the story. It describes the alternative account of reality that it offers. And then it asks, can you see it? Can you receive the good news? Do you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's like going back into the cave with your light and sitting down next to someone who's still chained to the wall. And as your light creates a new canvas on that wall, you paint a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now that person's got something, they have a new imagination for what could be outside. And they're more likely to drop those chains and follow Jesus with you back out of the cave, right? It's just, um, what this does is it gives people a new imagination for what the world is becoming because of God's presence through Christ. Our teaching of facts and apologetics cannot, as David Fitch says, fund an imagination for what God is doing in the world. But through his spirit, God chooses instead to fund the imagination using story. We have to have a new imagination for what evangelism is. Michael Frost, the guy who was speaking earlier, he, uh, he says that evangelism is alerting people to the rule and reign of King Jesus, recognizing that Jesus is ruling and reigning now, that after he ra- was raised from the dead, that he went to his throne. This is not a futuristic thing that someday Jesus will be on his throne. He's on his throne now. He says in Matthew 26, 64, Jesus says this, from now on you will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, seated at the right hand of the mighty. Brian Zahn says, we are forbidden to despair of the world as the place which is to become the kingdom of God, lest we help make it a meaningless place in which God is dead or irrelevant and everything is permitted. We must alter our views of heaven to earth and recognize that Jesus has already brought his kingdom near. He said it, right? Go out and then tell people the kingdom of heaven is near. We have to live lives that are looking. We have to open our eyes and see where the kingdom of heaven is near to us. And then we must boldly proclaim that it is there. We must point to it and say, there's the kingdom. Can you see it? Can you taste it? Can you feel it? In Baltimore, uh, in our city, um, recently there are two two things that just kind of struck my mind about this. There was an elderly woman in her 80s um, who, like so many people in Baltimore City recently, um, was carjacked. And she was in her um, apartment building, has like a parking garage. And she was in there and these two young men came in and beat her almost to death and stole her car. The woman got out of the hospital and went straight to the courtroom to defend these two young men. And she went even further. She helped fund education for them. She helped get clothing for them. She helped, she basically adopted them as her grandkids. And watching this video of her and these two boys embracing and holding each other and just weeping, that's reconciliation. That's a marker of the kingdom of heaven in our midst. Can you see it? Do you want it? On the York Road Corridor where we live, there's so much blight. There are miles and miles of Baltimore City that are covered with buildings that are abandoned, spray-painted, busted-out windows, heaping piles of trash and weeds taller than me. This is everywhere in our city. But somewhere uh, along the York Road Corridor, just south from our house, as you walk down the York Road Corridor, there's seven of them now. You can see the sides of these buildings that uh, this guy we met named DeAndre He's going down and he's painting these in, the entire side of buildings as a giant, beautiful bird. Just this beautiful painting of a bird over here. And then you go a few more blocks and there's one over here. In the midst of all this blight, it's beauty springing up. 
That's a marker of the kingdom. And we point to that to our neighbors and we say, look, there it is. It's the kingdom of heaven. Can you taste it? Can you feel it? And people want it. People are hungry for that. They, they want that in their lives. We've been trying to live this out on our front porch in Baltimore City for six or seven months now. It's actually why we named the church Front Porch Christian Church because we have seen God work so many crazy stories on our front porch and on the front porches of our neighbors. It's really quite beautiful. See, people move to our city just like D.C. for work, opportunity, education. But a difference is that they leave our city quickly for the safety of the county. They leave because they're terrified, because they're scared. And so people, when they meet Janet and I, and they hear our stories and find out that I'm a church planner, we're church planners, and Janet's a full-time nurse, and they say, like, couldn't you do that anywhere? Like, couldn't you just, and the truth is, yes, we could have gone anywhere on the globe and started a new church because nurses are needed everywhere, right? We could have gone anywhere. But we take that opportunity to say to people, no, no, God led us here. We chose Baltimore City. We love this place. We believe in a Jesus and we follow one who stands for the poor and who speaks for the voiceless. <clears throat> and I wake up every morning like bounding out of bed, ready to, ready to go tell people about Jesus, right? This is my personality. I bound out the door and literally like hunt people down. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's, that's how I'm crafted. But my wife is crafted differently. She is more introverted. She didn't get a Bible degree and doesn't speak or read Greek. But she takes this living evangelistically thing really darn seriously, guys. Like she takes it so seriously that when we moved to Baltimore, she created these front porch rules for us, right? That our front door and our front windows would remain open all day long whenever we're home. And that as much as we could, rain, snow, shine, like we'll be outside on our front porch. We sleep on our front porch sometimes, not all night, but you know, take a nap. We eat on our front porch. We laugh on our front porch and read and do homework and we play on our front porch. We do everything we can so that we will meet people who are walking by. It's just redeeming the time. We're doing all the same things. We're just doing them out front. And you may not have a porch, but you've got a park. You've got a coffee shop. You've got other places where you can do your work and live your life amongst other people and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ into their lives. Um, because of us living on our front porch, it's led to this like rooted presence that our neighbors are, are really all really curious about us. And they have a lot of questions. They show up on our front porch and ask us all sorts of strange things um, about what kind of job should they get next or how should they parent their children. That's weird when you just met someone. But um, it, it, what it's led to is a lot of people, like there are scores of kids in our front yard all the time. They just come to our front yard and they play. They jump on the picnic table and play on our playground in our front yard. Yes, we have a playground in our front yard. They just, you know, kids are always in our front yard. So much so, oh, it's a picture of our front porch. Um, so <laughs> we were sitting on our front porch uh, right before Christmas and two new neighbors had moved in. And we went over and met them like we do always. And so we were talking to these new neighbors and like a few sentences in, this, the, the lady turns to me and she says, you must be the pastor and the nurse. And I was like, uh-oh, um... Yes, we are. Yeah, that's who we are. What did you hear about us? She's like, no, we were our realtor told us that we needed to get to know you, that you guys were like the cool people on the street. We needed to get to, I was like, whew, okay, good. Now that story was, uh, was quite a compliment, but it's even a bigger story when you realize that these two neighbors are a biracial lesbian couple. And in a world where our LBGQT neighbors are being told that Christians hate them and where brown-skinned people are seeing hate spew spewed from microphones, it's questionable that our Buddhist neighbor realtor 
would point out that these people need to know the Christians on the block. That's a beautiful thing. And that's Jesus. That's what he does in our lives. It takes, it's going to take the long, slow, beautiful work of Christians living evangelistically on their front porches in their neighborhoods to reconcile the world back into the light. We must live questionable lives that beg the questions, who are you and why do you live this way? That we might boldly proclaim in those moments that King Jesus has come into my life and into this world to show us a whole new way of being human that reeks of justice and reconciliation and peace. Pray with me. Lord God, we are humbled um, to be in your presence. God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. Thank you for bringing us back into the light, God, and for offering.